Well, hey friends, good morning and welcome. We're so honored to have you here today. Thank you for spending some of your Sunday morning with us. Whether you're here in person or joining us online, we are so grateful for you. You know, every once in a while, Brady is either on vacation or managing projects on foreign shores, which means once in a while, our other fantastic and skilled speakers have to come up and facilitate a discussion. Well, Bob and Drew weren't available today, so we, so we had to call in second string. But Randy was also facilitating projects on foreign shores, so, so today we had to call in third string. Today we had to call in the underdog. I appreciate you sticking with me. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Grant. I'm staff here at Keystone. I work primarily with our students, but I'm so excited that you have chosen to join us today because you found us in a series called What is God Like? A series where we examine the specific accounts of Jesus' life as we believe that he was God in the flesh. As we examine what Jesus was like so we can develop a further understanding and relationship with God. Fortunately, Jesus' first disciples kept a good account of some of the interactions with him. And they had enough evidence to believe him when he said this, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And I truly do believe that this is one of the most important pieces of Scripture to keep in mind when anyone is trying to be more Christ-like. We must observe him to be more like him. You know, when Brady and I first sat down to start talking about some of the material to be presented this morning, I was constantly reminded of this one memory, this one memory where, where something happened and everything changed. The way that I worked with people changed, and the one of the most influential moments of my life came while I was cleaning a, a bathroom. Now... Let me give you some background. I'm going to tell you something about myself, and I'm glad that most of you are sitting down because this is going to shock you. But I haven't always been a ridiculously good-looking and hilarious youth pastor. <laughs> it's true. I haven't always been this built and this funny. And maybe I'm still not. So let's, be, let's say something that's even more true. I haven't always been a dork, okay? It's, I, no, it's not. I haven't. I haven't always been a dork. In fact, once upon a time, I was a dork in camouflage, Yes, and I'm really glad that since then I've um, developed and grown a beard because apparently I used to be 80% neck. <laughs> yeah, one piece of food would take five minutes to swallow because it had to do a 10K. Yeah, way back when I was a private in the army, believe it or not, I cleaned a lot of bathrooms. And if my wife hears that, her brain is going to melt, right? Used to, right? And if you're not familiar with how a lot of ranks in the military work, fear not, because I'm going to tell you all that you need to know for today's purposes, right? Junior enlisted, your privates, your privates first class, well, they typically clean bathrooms, right? And we get really good at it, right? And, but they're not alone because somebody is there to monitor them, right? Like a specialist, a corporal, a sergeant. Somebody is there to encourage them and kindly instruct them how to do it right. 
And they get put in charge of these details, right, by your staff sergeants, your sergeants first class, who have this expectation to keep their AOs tidy and in order because they want to someday become a master sergeant or a first sergeant so that they can run their own entire company. Well, one day, me and a bunch of other privates, we get sent to latrine duty. We get sent to clean the bathroom. And we start pulling out supplies. We start pulling out things to clean this bathroom. And all of a sudden, we're stopped. We are horrified. Because the person in charge of this detail is a master sergeant. Somebody who's with, like, been in 20-plus years has enough power to crush our souls. So we start cleaning like we have never cleaned before, man. We are getting after it. And all of a sudden, we look over, and this master sergeant is on his hands and knees cleaning this bathroom with us. We were like, boys, we're done. It's over. We did something so wrong that this guy is cleaning up after us. That was a good run. All of a sudden, this guy, this master sergeant, he calls us out to take a break, and he brings us all outside, and he tells us to relax, and he's just kicking the breeze with us. And one of the privates, he can't handle it. He has to ask. He has to know. He goes, master sergeant, what are you doing? How did you get stuck with bathroom duty, and why are you helping us clean? I've never seen an NCO, especially a master sergeant, clean a bathroom before. And that's when he stopped. And, and looked at us in the eyes and spoke slowly so that we would truly listen. And he said, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something that you probably don't understand. But the way that I see it is I work for you. And everything changed after hearing that. Because he got me. I didn't fully understand it at the time. Not until I became a sergeant. You know, he wasn't saying... I'm subject to your will. He wasn't saying, I, I, you can order me around. He definitely wasn't saying that. He was saying, everything I do is for you. It's not for me. I could have retired already. Everything I do is for you. So what does this possibly have to do with what God is like? Well, today I'm going to argue that in order to know somebody and know them well, you have to know certain things about them, such as who they work for. Because only by knowing who somebody is working for can we understand the dynamics of our relationship with them. Because who somebody works for changes our ability to relate to them. I mean, we've all probably met that person who works for themselves, who's trying so hard to build a legacy of their own that they miss a lot of the small wonders of everyday life. And we've all probably known that person who works for their boss, right, and is trying so hard to make their boss pleased that they ignore the misery of their subordinates. And we've all probably met that person who seems to work for everybody else. It becomes difficult to be around them because we start wondering, if we're doing enough, knowing who somebody works for changes the dynamic of our relationship with them. Well, today we have a couple questions to ask each other. And one of them is, who do you work for? Who are you sitting down and saying, listen, 
I actually work for you. But before we answer that question, I think it's important for us to take a couple different facts into consideration. We have a couple questions to answer before that, such as what is God like and who does he work for? And luckily for us, some of his first followers kept record of their interactions with him. And our first account it takes place in the book of John. And John writes this. He says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So this is right just before Jesus is arrested and crucified. And it's interesting that John writes that now Jesus would show the full extent of his love. As if everything before were a display or a partial example. But now, now leading into this moment, Jesus is about to show the full extent of his love. John continues, he says, it was just, John continues, so Jesus, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And friends, what we have here is incredible for a couple reasons. Right? I mean, most of us are, are, are relatively aware that these dudes, they didn't really walk around in super comfortable hiking boots, right? They were basically barefoot or had loose sandals on. So they were walking through, you know, the dirt and the mud and the animal filth. So their feet were a sanitary nightmare. But that's, that's actually not why this is so incredible. This is so incredible because of its cultural implications. You see, in, in so many cultures around the world, the feet play a significant role in establishing somebody's social status. The feet play a symbolic role in somebody stating where they are and how high they are on the social ladder. For example, in a lot of cultures around the world today, you don't sit in a way where the bottom of your feet show to somebody because that would suggest that they are beneath you. So what we have here is an intentional play on the cultural norms. Jesus is placing himself beneath his disciples. And these guys' minds must be blown. I mean, they had believed him to be God in the flesh. They had seen him command life into the dead. They had seen him command for the force of nature itself, walk on water, heal the permanently ill and disabled. They had seen him and believed him to be God incarnate. And he placed himself beneath them to wash their feet. The person that they followed as rabbi, teacher, and Lord sat them down and said, I actually work for you. Not in the way that I am subject to your will, but in the way that everything I do is for your benefit. What a wild and stunning thing for the God who created the universe to wash the feet, to put himself below a bunch of outcasts and sinners. And he was right. They probably didn't understand. So, so he continued to help teaching them. And John continues to record that when he had finished washing their feet, 
He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Notice how he confirms, like, yep, God of creation, God of washing feet. God who commands death itself, washes feet. God who walks on water, washes feet. Jesus continues, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus confirms, yep, Lord. Yep, teacher. Yep, washes feet. And he challenges his disciples and says, if you are unwilling to directly serve in the way that I have, you are claiming a place above God. Jesus says, if you are not willing to serve people as you have now witnessed me serve, you are claiming to be a servant who is greater than his master. And this is so huge, right? I mean, why? Jesus' last day on earth, and he's washing his disciples' feet and making it important that this was the one that stuck, that this was the memory that they had. The last one with them was him washing their feet, that him reiterating that they are called to directly serve other people. You know, Jesus served people directly and indirectly, and he calls us to do the same. And supporting people indirectly is one of the most important things that we'll ever be able to do because it's how great things are accomplished across the world. But Jesus came to directly serve people and emphasized this with his disciples because that's one of the reasons he was here. His emphasis on this direct service was so that we could use service as a means to put ourselves beneath somebody in need and develop relationship. It's in that direct service that a relationship can form and flourish. It's in that direct service that somebody may get to know us and continue the chain to get to know God. Jesus calls us to directly serve. He calls us, as a lot of people wiser than me like to word it, he calls us to be the people of the basin and towel. He calls us to directly serve, to put ourselves humbly beneath somebody who would never expect it, to serve them so that we may develop relationship and they may continue the chain to develop relationship with God. So once again, I, I ask you, who do you work for? Your boss, family, your neighbor? Do you work for God? Not a trick question. But once again, before I, before I allow everyone to give their final answer, I think it's important that we take an examination to see if there was any lesson given on who we are called to work for. And, and Jesus gave this lesson just days before washing his disciples' feet. Just days before, Matthew records a specific interaction between Jesus and some Pharisees. And Matthew writes that the Pharisees got together. 
One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And most of us know this passage, or at least somewhat familiar with it. And today we need to use it to help us develop an understanding of who we are called to work for. But there's a big question. What does it look like to work for God? I mean, how is the first commandment similar to the second? Well, fortunately, Jesus goes on to explain this. And he's speaking on behalf of God as how God sees you working For everyone else. And Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So how would one work for God? How are the first and second commandments similar? Well, they both have to do with serving people. However, when it comes to serving God, when it comes to loving like God loves, it's intentionally seeking out those with the least. It's intentionally seeking out those with the least and placing ourselves in a humble place of service to them so that a relationship may develop. When it comes to working for God, when it comes to working like God, it's leaving the 99 to find the one and greatest need. So I'll ask you one last time, who who do you work for? Because we're called to be the basin and towel. We're called to seek out those with the least. And, and place ourselves beneath them to serve them. And I hope that we're able to adapt our answers of who we work for to include a, a bunch of different people. And I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not always the best at this. I'm not. But I think that's one of the most important reasons that we're here, right? Is to support and encourage each other to be the basin and towel, to serve directly, to be the hands and feet that served us. All right, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm just going to beat you with you. Look, I'm not some fantastic biblical scholar. I'm not. And I'm not going to stand up here and blow you away with contextual knowledge that's going to make you reframe the way that you see Scripture. I'm not that guy. I'm just a guy who at some point, somebody looked me in the eyes and said, I work for you. And after that, everything changed. And thousands of years before that happened, Jesus looked his disciples in the eyes and said, listen, guys, I work for you. 
There is a strange power in that service. There is a strange power in that relationship, in that humble service. There is power, and I just encourage you to tap into that. Because if we're working for everybody else, then more people are getting to know God. And with that, friends, our time has actually come to an end. I can't tell you how much I appreciate every single one of you for being here. If there's anyone that's in need of of prayer or just an ear to listen to, we're going to have a couple friends under the screen to my right, your left, who will be there to talk to, who will be there to pray with. And for everyone else in the room, I'd be so honored if you're able and willing to stand, and I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every single person in this room who is amazing and beautiful and wonderful and uniquely made. Thank you for coming to us and showing us what true love looks like. Thank you for setting the example that we may follow you follow. Please fill our hearts with the same fire and passion so that we may go out and love like you have loved. Fill our hearts with your strength. Let us not be swayed by discomfort. Let us be encouraged by the one who served us that we may serve one another as you instructed. And it's your matchless son's name that we all pray. And everyone said, amen. Peace and blessings, friends. Thank you so much.